gun Ramos looking like he's got one more good run Sips a little shaky But his heart is still true Oh how that dog loves hunting with me and you Sporting dog adventures run The Sporting Dog Adventures podcast is proudly brought to you by Soggy Acres Retrievers. Remember, everyone deserves a soggy dog. Welcome to the Sporting Dog Adventures podcast. On today's show, I wanted to talk about just because you buy a hunting breed does not mean it's a hunting dog in our main part of our show. In our training tip, we're going to talk about introducing your dogs to live birds for the first time. And then in the hunting tip, we're going to talk about having a medical kit and having a medical kit for your dog, but also for you. And I'll explain how a lot of the medications that we use for dogs are also used for people. So stay tuned for what will be a fun show. We do want to keep you guys entertained and we do appreciate you stopping in. So the first part we're going to talk about is buying a hunting breed does not mean it's a hunting dog. Now, the thought process with that being just because a dog is a Labrador Retriever does not mean that it was bred for being a hunting dog. There are a lot of different lines and ways that dogs are bred. When you look at a Labrador Retriever, you have dogs that are field dogs where they are bred for hunting, and you also have dogs that are bench dogs or show dogs, and they are bred for a specific look, and those would be the dogs that you would see at like your Westminster and shows like that. The other thing that I see is you see dogs bred that have zero pedigree behind them where people want a hunting dog. And again, everyone will say you only need to buy a hunting dog and then it's all about training. And that thought process could not be any further from the truth. You have to have something that you can mold and that you can work with in the field that wants to go. I know I say it in a lot of podcasts, but we don't train dogs to hunt. Dogs are bred to hunt. That is where they get their drives, their trainability, and their desires from through proper breeding. They are trained to hunt for us. So... I had some clients here this week and I was explaining it. I said, you know, it's almost like a horse. You want a horse that's going to run fast where you're pulling the reins back to slow them down so that they're running at the speed you want. It's, it's pretty much the same with dogs. Your hunting dog, you want them to have enough goal where you're having to call them back at some point and let them understand that they hunt for you. If you have a dog that is a medium or even a low drive dog, you can make a hunting dog-ish out of them. If you have a high drive dog that really likes to go in the field, that's your optimal because you're pulling that dog back in and teaching them, no, you're going to listen to me. And through your obedience, your e-collar corrections, and everything else that goes into training, that is where you're teaching them how you want them to hunt. That is why, though, you get people that don't finish their training and they end up with a dog that is completely out of control. So that's why when you're out hunting, I, my, my joke to people is always, you ever notice that when you're out uh, on a public hunting hunting area that about 90% of the dog's name is Dammit? You just hear the guys, Dammit, come here, Dammit. 
again, these guys are yelling at their dogs. It is not the dog's fault. It's the owner's fault. They need to do the time training and not get so excited to take the dog out so that the dog is out of control. So what to look for when you're looking for a dog that is, quote, bred to hunt. You will have many places that will give you the thought process of both parents hunt. That's one that I love seeing. I see it on websites, see it on Facebook book pages, and both parents hunt. Then you look at the pedigree, and there's absolutely not one title dog in the pedigree. You are hamstringing yourself big time when you do not have that talent in a pedigree. Another analogy, if you've listened to the show that we say often, is it would be the same as having two Olympic athletes have a child and two regular people have a child. Which of those children would be more predisposed to be a high-level athlete? Of course, it would be the Olympic athlete. So when you're looking at a dog, you look at the pedigree, you see a lot of different titles. With hunting titles, you're looking at an MH behind the title, a QAA behind the title or behind the dog's registered name, MH behind the dog's registered name, an HRCH in front of the dog's name, an FC, AFC in front of the dog's name. Those are your HRC and your NKC hunt tests, which are generally your gold standard in breeding. Not that there aren't other competitions. Uh, there are a lot out there. I wish I could do more of them, but you only have time for so many. But when you are into your high-level breeding, those are going to be your gold standard titles that you're going to look for. And you're going to want to make sure that at least half of the dogs in that pedigree have titles. When you look at our pedigrees, the females will be out of a dog that has at least an MH on the back end or an HRCH on the front end of the registered name. The females on our kennel most times are not titled. Reason with that being is just because we place our females in homes. So it's not, it wouldn't work having a dog with a family living there and then have them run competition. It just, it just wouldn't be something that, that would be, I guess, workable. It was a decision I made when I started my kennel was that I didn't want to be put in a position where all my dogs lived in kennels. And I knew that was kind of an offshoot was having to explain why I do it my way to people uh, when they're looking for puppies because our females don't have titles. But again, you're going to have that female, even if she doesn't have a title, if you look at her pedigree, her parents, at least the male, would have a would have, would have a uh, uh FCAFC and MH and HRCH, they would have a title so that you can see that, yes, there has been talent in the lineage going back five generations, which is what most pedigrees will show. Does that mean that a dog with a pedigree that has no titles will not hunt? No, it does, absolutely does not. But again, when you are looking at buying a puppy, and most people are not like myself, where you have five hunting dogs in the house, you only get one. You want to really mitigate your chances of failure by having a good pedigree on that dog. You want to make sure that your puppy has the talent so that you're not trying to push them forward because they are low drive. You're not trying to, to, to ex get them excited. They are excited and you're drawing them back so that you can have a dog that is a good hunting dog. Now, with that said, you also want to make sure that you're getting a well-bred dog so that your dog does not bounce off the walls and has what would be considered an off switch. An off switch being that the dog will come in the house and lay down and chill out. I've got five labs in the house right now. All of them are sleeping. 
None of them really care. When I first start talking, uh, they they will jump up and, and, and come over by me. It's kind of funny because we do the podcast, which is what we're doing now. And then you'll also listen to our Dog Talk Q&As. That's actually where I'm recording Facebook Live and getting the questions from our fans. And then the dogs are part of it. They get to be a come up, say hi, sit on my lap, and, and do all the, the crazy things that they want to do. So they've almost gotten to the point now where they understand where my computer is. They understand what the difference between Dog Talk Live or the Q&A is that we're recording and the podcast where I sit in my kitchen where I've got a bunch of windows and really like to sit and look outside so that I can uh, uh, keep my focus. Well, other thing, real funny, I always think I'm talking to my phone. You guys don't realize how hard it is to do a podcast. You have to act like you're talking to to somebody. And a lot of times I'll actually talk to the dogs when I am uh, working on things so that you have something to focus on so that your brain, I guess, works properly. It is really tough just speaking to yourself or speaking to a screen so speaking to a dog for me actually makes it better so i'll give you a secret to my podcast and how i do it but again look at when you're getting your dog the one thing i always hear is that dogs with lots of titles the puppies are too expensive you are going to pay more when you are buying a uh, well-bred dog that has that stacked pedigree it costs more to produce that puppy whether it was you know parents before or running competition or health clearances, there's a lot more that goes into it. Most don't understand that, like my dogs that I have our, our master uh, or HRCH titles on, you're looking at a dog that you've put $15,000 into. Hence why a lot of people will try to get away with not having titles on their dogs. It's expensive. So when you look at that, you have a proven stud. You've got a dog that 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 absolutely you can point to those titles and show that they're a solid dog. That is part of what you're paying for in your purchase price. And the difference in your purchase price, our puppies sell for $1,900. I see puppies often in the $1,000 to $1,500 range that have no titles on any of the dogs in the pedigrees. If you're trying to save only a few hundred bucks or even $1,000, again, the, sh- the cheapest part of the equation of owning a dog is going to be that purchase price. From there, with the amount of training you put into them, vet bills, all the other things that you're going to put into your dog, you're going to look back and it'll be dwarfed by the purchase price. You're probably looking at at least $20,000 just going into a pet over its lifespan with vet bills and different things like that. Make sure that you're putting that investment on the front end with your puppy so you have something to work with so that you can have a dog that can do the job that you're looking for. If you get a well-bred dog, you're also getting a dog that's going to be a great pet. Again, our dogs are not bouncing off the walls. They're all sleeping. You can have both. You should have both. That is why you are buying a dog so you can have so much fun in the field. And another interesting thing is I will see the same people to argue about wanting to pay $600 for a puppy and then they have a $2,000 shotgun. Your dog is, in my opinion, the absolute most important part of your hunting crew because that dog is going to be the one going to get your birds and finding your birds that fall, that are maybe crippled or fall into heavy cover that you would never find. So again, spend the money on your four-legged hunting partner. You won't be disappointed. So stay tuned next. We're going to talk about introducing a dog to live birds for the first time on our training tip. That will be up next after this. 
This part of the podcast is brought to you proudly by Mech Outdoors. So on today's hunting tip, we're going to talk about introducing live birds to your dog for the first time. And the thing you got to look at with live birds is obviously we want to be as humane as we can when we're training. Do you need to use live birds? Yes. You have to use stuff so that the dog is performing its task when it's out in the field. It's actually, in a sense, a conservation issue. If you have a well-trained dog, you're going to, you're going to recover more of your game and that is absolutely a part of conservation, that we are recovering the animals that we have the honor to harvest. We use our dog for that, so you do need to use uh, live birds. There's several different thought processes. First, you're going to get your dog through something called force fetch. You're going to work with your dog so that they understand mouth control, which is part of force fetch or trained retrieve. You're going to then graduate to frozen birds, then fresh killed birds, again, so that you're controlling the situation before you introduce live birds. Now, once you get the live birds, I have different birds I like to use. Um, ducks are fine. Uh, I like to use chuckers are my favorite bird or pigeons are our salad choice. I don't like using pheasants. Um, a pheasant has a lot of power. They can run fast. They can kick hard. They can injure your dog. There's a lot of things that go on with a pheasant. And put yourself in the bird's shoes. They know the dog doesn't uh, doesn't mean them uh, well-being. So they are going to try to protect themselves. So be smart for your dog. Start out with either a pigeon or a chucker or a duck. You can, what I've suggested to people is put a uh, elastic over the, the, the uh, bird's wings or tape them. I don't do that, um, but you can do that so the, so the bird's not flapping and hitting the, uh, hitting the dog in the face. You want to try to keep away from any negative things that can happen where the dog would get injured and it would scare them. Because again, when you're working with dogs, they're young dogs in their training. Might not be in their age, but they're young dogs in their training. You don't want something to be cataclysmic bad thing for the dog when they are first working with birds. The other thing I will do is I will take a live bird. I will cut the flight feathers so it cannot fly. I will actually put it in the dog's mouth, have them walk it, heal with it, doing my hold commands. And I will use birds multiple times because if you teach your dog force fetch, you'll get to the point where they have a soft mouth. And you can actually use these birds over and over again. Once a, bird's, a bird gets to a certain point where they've worked with enough dogs, I graduated them and let them go if, they, if they're, uh, if they're still, still doing well. But you want to make sure that, again, they aren't flopping. They aren't uh, creating an excitement or a, uh, a fear in the dog where the dog's going to chomp down. Um, what I like to do, I can teach marking with anything. I don't worry as much about shooting birds over dogs because you can ha shoot a gun and have someone uh, throw a, 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 a fresh killed bird that was dispatched. Um, I will actually allow birds to move around and cover. So I clip their flight feathers, I release them, let them move around and cover, and then let the dog learn how to track and how to trail. That to me is far more important, again, it is important to teach marking or teaching the dog to go to where something falls. 
but once they get there, we want to make sure that they have in their toolbox the ability to track. So I'll do that a lot with our young birds where I just let them run around and uh, let the dogs find them. You do lose birds. I do have in summer uh, random chuckers and ducks that are hanging out on my property that, 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 you know, fair game, they got away. So now they, now they get to, uh, to, uh, chill on the property, but teach them that stuff so that you're in a position where the dog's going to be successful. So I hope that helps on today's, uh, on today's training tip. Stay tuned next. We're going to talk about taking an emergency kit that would be for you as well as your dog in the field. All that and more coming up. This portion of the podcast is proudly brought to you by Boucher Automotive in Janesville, Wisconsin. Hey, welcome back to the show. I had someone ask about a medical kit. So having a medical kit along with uh, for their dog. And it's interesting because we've covered this in a past uh, past episode. And I thought it would actually be really cool, really cool to talk about how you can have a medical kit along but it can be for everyone, two and four legged. What do you want to have along? You want to have gauze. You want to have something that would be the ability to wash your wound. You want to have hydrogen peroxide. Um, I would go with nonstick gauze. Then you're going to want to have athletic tape, but I actually also like to have something called vet wrap along. And vet wrap is like a stretchy, um, it's like a stretchy bandage that's, that adheses to itself. So you can put it around. It's great for dogs. But thinking about it, it would be great if you were out on a hunt and got yourself injured and had to hike back to your vehicle too, because it would be some way, it would be a way that you could put direct pressure onto whatever your injury is. So for dog or people alike. Myself, I always have three antibiotics along as well. I have uh, Keflex or Cephalexin, however you want to pronounce it. I have amoxicillin and I have metronidazole. Your Cephalexin is for... If you get an injury, uh, like you get a cut in your skin and it gets infected, that would be the antibiotic you would take for that. The amoxicillin would be for a more internal infection. And the metronidazole would be for uh, an infection in your GI tract, usually something similar to like a Giardia, uh, where you're going to pick it up from drinking bad water. Again, all people get these, all animals get these. I will say this is not telling you to go out and buy this stuff willy-nilly, talk to a vet and talk to a doctor so you know what proper dosing is. I am in no way a doctor. I have talked to my vet and I have, and my doctor and I know what would be for me when I go out. But again, that's being thorough when I'm going on a hunt. I also have staplers along. I used to have uh, a kit for sewing, but I'm just not a fan of that. In my truck, I will have, uh, for, for the dogs, I will have a... Uh, trimmer or a shaver so that I can uh, get excess fur away. And again, you want to make sure that you have this stuff so that the dog is healthy, so that the dog is is out there. And if something happens, you can attend to the dog and get them to a vet. Many people do not realize how far away vets are. I've hunted places where vets were eight hours away, where you're just out in the middle of absolutely nowhere. You have to have stuff along just in case. Um, on the same sense, I had my son when we were filming, 
uh, he had his wisdom teeth out and he got an infection uh, from, from where they pulled his wisdom teeth. We went to the doctor, very small town, said we needed amoxicillin. The pharmacy was uh, about 50 miles away. I had amoxicillin along because I have, again, my kit for the dogs and for the people. So it worked out well, but have an emergency kit, have things in it. Uh, another good one, EMT gel. Now uh, you can buy for dogs. Have that stuff along so that the dogs are in a position to be cared for. Um, EMT gel, uh, triple antibiotic. Um, trying to think, we talked about washing stuff. There's something called wound washed. But have this stuff along so that you can make sure that you can care for your dogs or yourself when you're in the field. Thank you so much. That was a question off one of our Facebook pages. I love it when you guys can give me stuff you want to hear. I do appreciate it. Take care. God bless. Sporting dog adventures run, boy, run. Everything you need is here under the sun.